0: This is part one of a two part podcast.
1: In a world on the brink of social collapse, one website stands above the rest to fight back the zombie horde of corporate trolls. Permes.com. Take back control of your destiny and protect your loved ones from the toxic git coming at you from all directions. Strap on your overalls and start building that bunker of abundance with the good vibes and friendly helpful insight found at Permes.com. All right. So it's permaculture smackdown.
0: And, uh, today I'm going to, we're going to talk about the predecessor to the book, building a better world in your backyard. And that is that. Um, I don't know how I got hold of this article, but somebody sent me an article about uh Derek Jensen writing uh, about showers, and like basically he's advocating for political change over personal change and uh so but, um I want he's got some very profound things that he's saying that I think are really important. And, and I, and, and I'm, and it's just, it fueled me and, uh, I wanna, alright, so I'm gonna just jump into it. So, uh, I'm going to respond to, to this article that he wrote. First, I wish to say that Mr. Jensen is one of our great permaculture leaders. I choose to follow a different permaculture path, but I find his ideas refreshing, bold, and delicious after a diet of spiral gardens, poorly built cob ovens, And greenhouses in the winter shade. And Mr. Jensen's words always make me grow to be a better person. All right. So now I'm quoting Derek Jensen. Would any sane person think dumpster diving would have stopped Hitler or that composting would have ended slavery or brought about the eight hour work day or that chopping wood and carrying water would have gotten people out of czarist prisons or that dancing naked around a fire would have helped put in place the Voting Rights Act of 1957 or the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Then, why now, with all the world at stake, do so many people retreat into these entirely personal solutions? All right, so then I respond uh, to that and my little essay that I wrote. And while he makes an extremely good point, I do wish to engage him on this point. And my point will be weird. I wish to say that he is right. And at the same time, I wish to propose a point that is almost the opposite and say that that is right too. In fact, I want to add strength to to his point, by the words from his book, As the World Burns, 50 Simple Things You Can Do to Stay in Denial. That's the name of the book. I think it's it's such an amazing title. As the World Burns, 50 Simple Things You Can Do to Stay in Denial. In that book, he points out that if everybody in the world did all of the things that were supposedly better... Then it wouldn't make any tangible difference. I almost cried when I read that because it's so true. I think this is a good point. If we are all, if we are going to solve all problems globally, or perhaps most problems, we need to at least come up with a scalable backyard model and then scale it. I know I can do the first part, and I think I've done a fair bit in this space already. And there are some days when I think I might be able to do the second part. I've made a mountain of progress, but there's a thousand more mountains to go. Okay, now I'm quoting him again. An inconvenient truth helped raise consciousness about global warming. But did you notice that all the solutions presented had to do with personal consumption, changing light bulbs, inflating tires, driving half as much, and had nothing to do with shifting power away from corporations or stopping the growth economy that is destroying the planet? Even if every person in the United States did everything the movie suggested, U.S. carbon emissions would fall by only 22%. Scientific consensus is that emissions by must be reduced by at least 75% worldwide. All right, that's the end of the quote from the book. And then I say, therefore, we need more, much more. And as with nearly everything in permaculture, it isn't going to be just one thing but a long list. And rather than do 50 things that give us 22%, Perhaps we need to explore a list of 100 things that give us 75%. Of course, we're not going to persuade everybody, so we really need to step up the game. All right. So first off, I kind of I I want to check in with you guys. So we've got uh, uh, Julia, Katie, and Mark here today, and um, the first thing that I that, that I read. That came from Derek Jensen from his article was stuff like, do you think dumpsting diver would have, dumpster, dumpster diving would have stopped Hitler? And then he talked about, uh, different things about chopping wood carrying water, dancing naked around a wood, uh, around a fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Solve, solve these big, big things. It's, is it a little bit of a straw man perhaps? A little bit. So, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel like, uh, uh, you know, step one, pick the thing that we're trying to solve. And then step two, come up with solutions that are directed to that one thing. Now, he did later in his, in the second part I quoted, he is talking about carbon footprint stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying that, you know, All the things that are suggested by an inconvenient truth at up to 22%. On the other hand, one of the things I've always, that I've, I haven't always, is like only been the last couple of years that I've proposed this thing about the apple seeds. Are you guys familiar with my thing about the apple seeds? Yes. Okay. So um, and I, and my math comes out to say that that's 100 tons per year. And, and, uh, the average adult in the United States has a carbon footprint of 30 tons per year, and that's both direct and indirect. So it, that includes the industry footprint that most people chase more. But that's the other thing, too, is it's like as as we're arguing about whether to do it through political stuff or personal stuff, 15 tons is direct, it's personal. And then the other 15 tons is indirect, which is going to be industry, which basically it's we're proposing that government's going to go regulate industry and leave people alone. And that's how we're going to solve this. And I kind of think like, I don't think that's a good idea. Now, I and I think I've mentioned this podcast even fairly recently, that I think that when the time comes up that I stand up somewhere and I try to talk about these things, then it all basically, uh, gets poo-pooed because people are saying you need to take it up with politicians. There's nothing that you as an individual can do.
1: Why not both?
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think you could do both if the, if you're into that. Um I, I think at the same time, I kind of, I kind of feel like, uh, why not you know, why do you have to shit on this? Why? The other thing is is that it's like let's say you want to do the political thing. you want to pursue polit- i i I firmly believe that that's a rigged playing field, and so it's like, okay, you're gonna go and and I kind of feel like the greater message is is whatever you do, keep on consuming. Don't learn ways to consume less. Keep consuming. Keep on doing that. And if you're upset about it, definitely go do this thing so we can ignore you. But keep consuming. Keep consuming. Write to politicians. Or you can even write to companies if you want. Write to the regulators. Write to the people who are going to try, who who have the ability to make authentic change in a big way. Write to them. And then, you know, maybe not everything you write will be ignored, but most of it. I I just feel like it's a rigged playing field. Whatever you do, don't, don't do something that will actually, and it's not even that they're concerned about actually causing change. I think what they're worried about is they're worried that their employer, because I do believe that these are corporate trolls, that their employer will get less money. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of feel like that's naughty. That this whole thing about there's nothing you can do, so don't even try. If you have a moment, you should write to a politician. The politicians we've paid for and got in our pocket, who will ignore you. Yeah. This might be a pessimistic thing on my part, but I, I do think that like with the Building a Better World book, there's authentic things that you can do, and they make an authentic difference. But they do threaten the livelihood of big corporations, and and so it's fair that a big corporation is going to say like, don't 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 do that. Don't don't read Paul's book. Don't do the things he says in there. Although I do feel like the apple seed thing doesn't take any money away from the big corporations, right. But, I mean, generally,
2: in a capitalist society, solutions that don't involve buying something are not going to be promoted. So, I mean, the, like the solutions that annoy you the most, things like, well, I've done my bit because I bought the right light bulbs. You know, that's that's what always gets promoted in a capitalist society is you just need to alter your purchasing habits. And then you'll be doing the right thing. But a lot of what you're recommending doesn't involve purchasing. It involves doing or building.
0: Right. And I think, for example, the apple seed thing. So eat an apple a day, put the seeds in your pocket, and when you have a chance, plant those seeds. I think that can be done in a capitalist environment. Right. So I think it can also be done in – every political environment that there is
2: well i think if i do that in my personal <laughs> environment there's i'm not sure where i'd put the seeds other than on my farm on
0: your farm because if i
2: put the if i put them in my neighbor's front yard they're going to mow the seedling down sure and if i put them in a park the same thing kind of happens so i'd have to find like untended land for the apple tree experiment to really go.
0: Okay. You, you live yes. in Portland, Oregon. Yes, I do. Okay. Now, um, all right. So let's say you put the seeds in your pocket and, um, after a month, you have a month's worth of seeds. You've got like half a cup of seeds, probably not even half a cup of seeds, Mm-hmm. but you've got quite a few seeds. You've got, Let's see, if, if it's 30 days, there's five seeds. So you've got like 150 seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, now you did mention something about like you can go onto your farm, but let's pretend that that's like, like you don't have that farm. Right. All right. Um, I know for a fact that there are places, um, near you that are not, uh, like, like they're not somebody's yard. Mm-hmm. There are, where they, where it be mowed because your concern is valid. And they are not a park where it's going to be tended and mowed as well. There are, uh, uh, lots probably, probably less, probably within a 20 minute walk of where you are. There's a lot that, uh, is untended and it's private. Mm-hmm. It is private. Okay. You can put 20 seeds in there. <laughs> Okay. All right. I mean, like, you could also work it into a seed ball and kind of toss the seed balls out, kind of do a little guerrilla gardening. But uh the other thing that you could do is that there's probably some place that you have been to where it's like a little bit of an outdoor thing, and you can kind of do a little hike kind of a thing, and it's not that far away. True? Sure. There's
2: is sure. to hike. Um yeah. All
0: right. Alright, and, and so on, in those places you could plant a lot more seeds. You know, Um uh, it'll be a lot easier. I mean, you could do the seed vaulting again, or, you know, you could just stick the seeds into the ground, like, uh, the, the general rule of thumb for any seed is to put it into the ground, uh, five times deeper than the seed is thick. So, you know, just a little bit. It doesn't have to be too terribly far. Right, so like you know what a third of an inch or so, probably plenty for an apple seed, maybe maybe half an inch, something like that so um i i'm i'm gonna I'm going to because once you start doing it and you start thinking about it, I think you're gonna find more and more places where you can put these seeds and so mm. now another angle on this, however is that for you, you live in Portland, Oregon, you're, everything's kind of getting covered with, with vegetation as it is. Yes. Yeah. So it's possible that planting these apple trees, planting these apple seeds will be less effective than somebody planting those same seeds in another climate. The other thing is, is that you can accumulate these seeds over two or three months. And then I happen to know a little bit about you. You tend to travel a bit. Um, you'll find yourself, you know, in the Midwest or something like that. You'll find yourself in different mm. places. And then you might have an opportunity to, you know, pop someplace where they don't have a lot of trees. And you can plant some apples, plant some apple seeds. So I'm painting a picture here. I'm not sure if it's a particularly great picture, but there will be, there are opportunities to to do this, to plant these seeds. And if you can get into a lot where there's currently nothing but grasses growing, and these trees can get established and start to grow, then um, it's possible that by the time that they reach maturity, that they will have they will have sequestered more than a hundred tons of carbon for just one year's effort. Mm. And I don't think it's a really significant effort. This is a pretty light effort. I mean, probably most of the work is going to be eating those apples. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but as, you know, and don't, isn't there some saying about keeping the doctors away? <laughs> right. Yeah. It could be a problem. So, uh, yeah, as a doctor, as a physician, is this going to like, uh, poison you somehow?
1: ah, I ate an apple.
0: No. <laughs> I'm not sure how this works. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I will, uh, I, I,
2: spend most of my time doing physicals, luckily enough, so I'll be alright.
0: Okay, alright. Um I'm, so I think, I think that this is, this is a pretty profound solution. It's a, it's a personal solution. And then of course, if we want to do Derek Jensen's math, and if everybody did it, well then that would pretty much end a bunch of global problems, wouldn't it? there would be a lot of apple trees. That would be a lot of apple trees. Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny. It's a big key would be getting as close to everyone as possible. Because uh, the one gotcha with, you know, going out and planting seeds, uh, in areas that you don't own the land personally is that the next, you know, the person who owns that land or manages it can say, Oh, I've got these weedy plants coming up and they go through with the lawnmower. And chop them down. So I think the key is is getting enough people on board for any solution to work. You know, uh, wholeheartedly or completely, you, you do need to to get enough people on board.
0: Right, but I mean, the foundation of this is Derek Jensen saying, "If everybody did it, it would still be a shit show."
1: Right, and and you have the. The counter that it's not a shit show. So I want to solve it.
0: I want to come up with a recipe so that if everybody did it, it would it would solve global warming, it would solve climate change, it would solve the things that Derek is concerned about. And so I I think the key is is to come up with a better recipe. So, all right, moving along. Um, Reading reading what I wrote here's I said uh, let's look at heat. First, there's my article about cutting 87, 87% off of my electric heat bill, then my stuff about rocket mass heaters, and finally, the possibility to fully eliminate the need for heat with my Wafati stuff. I have written about and demonstrated many paths to cut overall electric usage while living a more luxuriant life. It is not perfect, but a very large improvement further I'd like to point out that a lot of people, when they switch to photovoltaic energy, find ways to reduce their electric consumption by 95%, while people that are on the grid are sure they're cutting electric consumption by 60% are really cutting it by something like 5%. The moral of the story is that people do learn these things. Transportation. I have many facets to this. The top of the list is the peanut picture of a life path that eliminates the daily job commute. I advocate residual income streams. Further, I'm exploring the space of getting 20 people to live under one roof without stabbing each other. Such a path could dramatically reduce the need for vehicles. Further still, if 90% of the food is grown at home, that eliminates some trips to the grocery store, which, on large scale, produces some food transportation costs. Of course, exploring paths of reducing overall consumption of stuff also reduces transportation costs, as well as the section labeled industry. Now, you might notice this chart says U.S. Okay, so I've got this—I've got that funky chart that so many people have. Uh, bend it about from the World Resources Institute that shows um, the different kinds of uh, greenhouse gases there are and where do they all come from. Uh, so unfortunately, it leaves it the process where trees, which are mostly carbon, are destroyed, usually through burning, dominantly in tropical areas. Of course, this problem happens within the U.S. also. But I think I recall Alan Savory once saying that the process of converting tree carbon to carbon in the air accounts for more than half of the pro- of our problem, greenhouse gases problem. I think that when writing the book Building a Better World, um, Sean and I put a lot of time into, into researching that, and we never did find any numbers to back that up. So we left it out of the book. So naturally, a powerful tool in this space is to convert CO2 back into trees as much as possible. Step one would be to to do what we can in our backyards, homesteads, and farms. Step two would be to uh, tackle the tropical areas where this is the greatest problem. Of course, we're back to the issue of less than 1% of the population is doing this versus everybody is doing this. But the first step is to clean up our own yard. The second step is to paint a picture that says, if you use this technique, you triple your profit. Alright. Next up, I'm gonna read another piece out of the article by Derek Jensen. Okay, he says, or let's talk water. We so often hear that the world is running out of water. People are dying from lack of water. Rivers are dewatered from lack of water. Because of this, we need to take shorter showers. Take shorter showers. See the disconnect? Because I take showers, I'm responsible for drawing down aquifers. Well, no, more than 90% of the water used by humans is used by agriculture and industry. Now, I'm going to step in here to this thing real quick and say, isn't, that, isn't uh, agriculture and industry, isn't that by humans? Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so I'm, I'm a little confused about that statement. Because well, you mean personal
2: change isn't going to impact the dry draw, down of
0: aquifers. Right, right. Or showers. But agriculture and industry, my point is, is that it's, those are humans and they're attempting to do it because other humans, the consumers, are going to buy this stuff. Right. So,
1: alright. Hi, this is Mark. Sometimes talking to a friend or family member about permaculture can be met with a blank stare if it's all new to them. A great way to explain some of it can be over a card game using permaculture playing cards, which each have interesting facts with quality illustrations and descriptions. A wide range of people, places, and things, all related to permaculture, can be found on the permaculture playing cards at richsoil.com forward slash cards. Anyway,
0: moving along with, with quoting from his article. The remaining 10% is split between municipalities and actual living, breathing individual humans. Collectively, municipal golf courses use as much water as municipal human beings. People, both human people and fish people, aren't dying because the world is running out of water. They're dying because the water is being stolen. All right, now now for my response to the thing about water. I so, said, okay, let's talk water. If we grow our own food without using any water, so nice stuff about replacing irrigation permaculture, then we reduce the demand on ag. Further, a lot of the ag folks that are using so much water are paying about 90% of their gross income for that water. If we can show them a path that can reduce or eliminate their water use, that converts directly to profit. Golf courses, there are ways to have a sharp-looking turf using zero water. It has been done. As for industry, I think it would be good to explore industry that is a huge water consumer. With a strong focus on water drawn from ancient aquifers, and that water is not replaced. After all, if an industry, such as raising cattle, draws water from a creek, and then the water is returned to the creek, and the water leaving the property is cleaner than it arrived, I think that doesn't count. So this is another thing, too, is it's kind of like, cattle consume this much water. There's so many gallons per pound of meat, kind of a thing. And I kind of feel like I do think that there's a there's a the the focus when we when we talk about that is that in some areas they're taking the water from an ancient aquifer that is not getting replenished. Yeah. And I kind of feel like okay, that's a great place to talk about it. But if we're taking water out of, let's say, a stream. Hmm. And then a cow, let's say, over the course, uh, course of a certain amount of time, a cow drinks a 1,000 gallons of water. It's, it's not like that 1,000 gallons of water just disappeared and has gone off the face of the earth forever. It's coming okay. back out of the cow. So it's like I don't understand. So it's like if there's a creek. Well, it depends on where the cow is. If the cow is
2: in a feedlot. Then the water's coming back out of the cow, but, like, they they put all of that into a lagoon, and then probably a lot of the moisture goes up into the air. Whereas if the cow's on okay. a pasture, no. then most of that moisture goes back into the soil, works its way through the water system, and replenishes that creek or pond.
1: And the areas where those cows are being raised don't necessarily get a lot of rainfall to replenish the water table where the water is being pumped up from.
0: So now, okay, I think we've got to, you know, I want to differentiate between a place where the water is coming from some sort of ancient aquifer and, a, mm-hmm. and that and a creek. But I do think, like, if you're going to talk about a CAFO and then the, the water went up into the atmosphere, it's like, oh, good. So it's still part of the water cycle. Right. Yeah. So it didn't fall didn't off the face of the earth. It didn't get blasted into the sun. There wasn't a magic trick where it went into a void. Nothing like that. It's still here. I think I think it's valid to be concerned about these ancient aquifers. And it's kind of like, okay, so maybe – Maybe consuming water where these ancient aquifers are isn't such a good idea. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think when we're, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are pulling water out of those ancient aquifers, but I, uh, okay, and one of them might be cattle, uh, but it's kind of like, okay, so we throw all cattle under the bus on this one because of ancient. Not for me. And I, and so I kind of think like, okay, um, these cattle, had a zero water impact, had zero impact on an ancient aquifer. Cause I And so I kind of feel like, shouldn't that be how we kind of focus on that? Now, granted, like the Colorado River is being dried up into nothing because of all the different things that are being used for it. And it's like, that seems a little fucked up. Um And now I do not have a good solution for that. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz that's that's kind of like all right. So you've got this place where you have millions and millions and millions of people, so many people and so many so many uh farms and stuff that they're using all of that water, all of it. And it does seem like all of it seems too much. All all of it seems like that's that's not appropriate use. Yeah. And so It it does kind of seem like now, um, so Mark, you're going to have the answer for this. And that is that I know that, uh, uh, more than a decade ago, maybe it was about a decade ago, I was presenting in, um, the San Diego area in Oceanside. And, um, and the point came up about water and, um, it sounded like the cost of water was like the normal household spent like between 200 and 400 dollars a month on water and they weren't using very much water. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, I think that at a bare minimum you're probably looking at 50 dollars a month per person in a household. Okay. All right. All right. And I get by I get by with my my bills about 50 dollars a month. And they give me a little chart that shows my water use versus those in my neighborhood. Uh And I use about 10% of the average for my neighborhood. So very easily you could see, you know, it's not going to be the exact. It's not like 500 for my neighbors. You know, there's like the base fees and then a usage fee. So, yeah, I wouldn't surprise me at all if the average household is 150 to 200 a month just for water. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Well, if you're using 10%
1: and you're spending 50, that kind of suggests 500, but yeah, okay. like they, they'll charge you $40 no matter what. And then they charge you say $10 for uh, water you use that type of thing. Okay. All right. All right. Got it. Got it. Nice
0: job it. using
2: 10%. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Man, thanks. Oh.
0: Um, I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, that's, possibly one thing to be done. But of course, you know, it's it's also plausible that if ninety percent of the water is going out to industry and ag and, and if they're paying like one percent of what the consumers are paying, that does seem like a little unfair, a little inappropriate. Like maybe maybe right there isn't the best place to do that kind of ag if they're gonna use that much water. Um and if it if it is the best place, then maybe they should be paying the same as what people pay. Yeah. And then yeah. So then they're it's paying, a political thing. And they're gonna say, like, well we can't make that work. And it's like, well then I guess you're gonna stop you're gonna raise something else then. You're gonna grow something else there.
1: Yeah, there's a big argument. <laughs> um east of San Diego you have Imperial County, which is a major um agricultural area uh, as far as this part of the country, they grow lots of lettuce and things like that in an area where there isn't the water to support it. And so they're using lots and lots of water and they can call it subsidies. You can call it, you know, price fixing, whatever. Um, they don't pay as much for the water as they should. Because if they actually had to pay for the water like the way a regular residential consumer does, you would have the heads of lettuce would be $10, $15 a piece instead of, you know, 80 cents because of all the water costs involved with it. It's just not a viable spot for, for growing produce, um, unless it's subsidized and then. Because it's subsidized, it essentially gets abused. You're using that water in what I would say is a, an inefficient manner. You know, there's other places where you could grow water-thirsty plants where you have more water. And then you still have to ship it. You know, you talk about, like, what's the solution for the Colorado River being drained dry Um cut off all the water to cities that were built in deserts where it can't support people and let the city collapse and the people have to move somewhere else where it's viable to live in balance with nature. That's That would be my very blunt, sorry you chose to live there answer <laughs> to that question. But that's how you keep the Colorado River from being drained dry. Is you mm-hmm. don't allow people to take the water out and... The people who depend on that water suffer the consequences and move somewhere else. It's the same reasoning. Like more and more of the population is moving to the east and west coasts um, and living in higher and higher densities in big cities. That's not a sustainable, you know, structure for at least for this country. When you talk about well, now you have to transport. You talk about eating local you know, food. Well, New York City, unless you're going to have like all of upstate New York turned into farms to feed the millions of people that are, you know, on the island, that it's just not viable to live that way. You know, people need to move back into the Midwest and into all this land that can be farmed. So same with living here in San Diego, there's way too many people on the coast. The prices are crazy as a result of that. Um, and you know, there's lots of expenses trying to make it work here. So I'll stop before I start. I
0: I kind uh, of feel (laughs) like the, 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 the key is, is like, yeah, eliminate the subsidy. And then that way, yeah, your head of lettuce costs $37 and, um, but then, on the other hand, it seems like when you live in that area, people tend to get paid a lot more, um, and it does seem like a lot of the solutions people come up with for different problems seem to be like they they, they seem to, to take it as a given that everybody wants to live in a city, and that's therefore all the solutions have to assume that people are going to live in a city, and I I kind of think that like uh as we move into an era where there's going to be um, uh, electric semi trucks, and they might even be self-driving. That the cost of transportation from some place where there's more water might start to work out better. Um, but I, anyway, all right. You know what? This is all that's all political, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna step gently away from all that political stuff. Uh, and now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna move on to, um, let's see, uh, I wanna move on to the next, the next thing that he is saying in, in his article. Uh, he says, uh, or let's talk energy. Kirkpatrick Sale summarized it well. For the past 15 years, the story has been the same every year. Individual consumption, residential by private car and so on, is never More than about a quarter of all consumption. The vast majority is commercial, industrial, corporate, by agribusiness and government. He forgot, military. So even if we all took up cycling and, if we all took up cycling and wood stoves, it would have a negligible impact on energy use, global warming, and atmospheric pollution. And then my response is, and if we dramatically improve things in our backyard, industry is always looking for ways to cut costs. It won't take long for industry to adopt ideas. On a more political note, if we stop subsidizing energy, the products that consume huge amounts of energy will have their price go up and will then become less appealing. When gasoline is $12 per gallon, possibly the unsubsidized price, Bananas will become more expensive than apples, and we will see more people on bicycles, and public transportation will quickly be much smarter. All right, mm. then, he, then uh, I quote him saying, or well, let's talk waste. In 2005, per capita, municipal waste production, basically everything that's put out at the curb, in the U.S. was about 1,660 pounds. Let's say you're a die-hard. Simple living activist and you reduce this to zero. You recycle everything. You bring cloth bags shopping. You fix your toaster. Your toes poke out of old tennis shoes. You're not done yet though. Since municipal waste includes not just residential waste, but also waste from government offices and businesses. You march up, you march to those offices, waste reduction pamphlets in hand and convince them to cut down on their waste enough to eliminate your share of it. Uh, I got some bad news. Municipal waste accounts for only 3% of the total waste production in the United States. So why did he bring it up? I don't know. Okay, all right. And suppose we have come up with some – so now this is my response, my response to that. And suppose we've come up with things to make it so that we reduce our waste at home effectively. Uh, suppose we reduce 90% of our waste and we activate the whole everyone thing. All of that industry is populated with people. The same people that just reduced all of their home waste. So we start off with the 20 people under one roof thing. General consumption is typically reduced to half due to you don't need so many things, which can be shared among the community. Combine that with growing your own food. Surely two or three of the 20, I like the garden, and usually two or three others are keen to cook. Next, we come up with a large buffet of waste, reduce waste at home. A lot of these are things most people are not even aware of, and now they are aware. Industry has waste, not because they like it, but because they do not yet know of alternatives. Solving this problem usually cannot be accomplished by yelling at them. It almost always requires creative thought, so if we impregnate a lot of these ideas into the brains of their employees. That doesn't entirely solve the problem either, but it does improve the probability that the problems might be solved. <clears throat> so I think this is a thing that's oftentimes not mentioned when we're going. And it's like, who are we going to be angry at? And it's like we pick out companies, and we pick out politicians, and we pick out all these different people. But the bottom line is, is that if we start solving this stuff at home. A lot of those people work for those places and the ideas percolate up. And then a lot of the, a lot of companies usually have programs that say if an employee thinks of some way for the company to save money or make money, then they usually cut the employee in on it and give them a big fat bonus. And it's kind of like, so let's, let's seed those ideas.
2: Question I have is, Is the power structure the way that it is because
1: of politics or are politics the way that it is they are because of the power structure? Um, and because every time we make a transaction, buy something, go to work somewhere, we're giving our little bit of power, um, to somewhere. Um, I think it sounds like what your point might be that if enough of us give our power to good places, then that can really, that can really shift the board a little bit.
0: I think that that's true. I think that um you know if we vote with our wallet and we um you know choose to give our dollars to places that are going to be have values that are more aligned with our own then yeah we are we are shifting the power about um i'm i'm kind of wondering like okay, i mean for example we're trying to we're trying to make big 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 changes and um and i think that the way that it starts is with uh you know like first of you know like we if all of us listening to this podcast and also being recorded on this podcast created a whole bunch of Hügel culture and we started to get a lot of our food coming out of our hugo culture and and we we babied our hugo culture to the point that we didn't have to irrigate it anymore, then it seems like we could tell. We, we could point at this. We could share this knowledge, this this thing that we're experiencing. We could share it with um, uh, maybe a dozen people. Each of us shares it with a dozen people. And then maybe out of the people that, have, that we've shared it with, some of those work for big companies or big ag or whatever, and experiments start to happen to see if the company can make more money using Google culture than with the methods that they're currently using. And so change begins. Um, <clears throat> I like the idea of uh, giving my money to places where their values are more aligned with mine, and I do the, you know, I do what I can in that space. But of course, um, I think what's, I, I, I think that there's even more and more and more we can do. I mean, growing our own food is a, is an important step. And being able to eliminate a lot of industry as well as being able to eliminate uh, personal expense and make it, make it easier. Now, I think a lot of people are very concerned about gardening because they're worried that they're going to, instead of going out and paying $4 a pound for potatoes, that they feel like when they calculate in the amount of time they put into growing potatoes, those could turn out to be some $100 tomatoes. And so it's kind of like, uh, you know, they're they're kind of like, ah, gardening is stupid. Gardening is dumb. And so we've got to come up with techniques that are going to make it so that, you know, if they're, if they're out there putting in the work on a garden that they end up making uh $50 an hour rather than um going into the hole, you know, like, like those are such expensive tomatoes.
1: Yeah. That's a big problem. I've noticed, I've noticed some friends talk about that problem that things need to be economically viable. I, I think finding those solutions, And, and helping promote them when we do find them is, is wonderfully valuable. I agree. I agree. Being able to make something like that enjoyable so that ultimately, you know, what's the expense? If you, if you have to buy some seeds, yeah, there's an expense there. Um, but ultimately if you're doing something you don't enjoy, but you're doing it because you think you can save some money, um, is that really an ideal way to spend your time growing food versus I get to go out into the garden and get my hands in the dirt and have the wind blowing through my hair and get to listen to the birds and the other animals. And it's an enjoyable thing. And as a benefit, I'm getting the healthiest food available to me.
0: I, I very much want to point out the apple tree that we've all seen That is an enormous apple tree, and nobody cares for it. And it pumps out mountains of awesome fruit every year with zero effort. So when we meet these people that are kind of like, well, I don't want to grow these tomatoes that are $100 tomatoes. Because I had to put all this time in it and I had to go get the fertilizer and I had to water it all bunches and bunches. And in the end, yeah, it's a good tomato and everything, but it's like a hundred dollars a pound. And I kind of feel like a little bit of it is, and I think I talked about this in a podcast once before where I've seen some tomato plants that were really pathetic. Like, wow, that is a small tomato plant. That is, that is crazy. So I, I kind of feel like the the champion to look at is a glorious apple tree like a big a big apple tree that gets no care and produces a rather large mountain of awesome fruit i think that uh you know we can also start talking about i mean someone else was talking about calories like you grow all this kale and you've all and, and you did all this work and then the amount of calories is like not even what you could get in a couple of candy bars. And yet it took you this enormous amount of time to get all this kale. And I kind of feel like that's a poor example. My apple tree, I think, is a much better example. I mean,
2: well, But there's a lot of nutrition in that kale. And once you make the kale delicious, you've added a lot of calories. Or like I had kale last night and I mixed it with onions that had been cooked in lard. On, you know, onions and garlic cooked in lard, and that got mixed with the kale and then also um broth. So I got my hit of nutrition from that kale, but the calories came from all the things that I used to make it palatable.
0: I think in that case, uh, I, I mean, what you just said was that if you're focusing on calories, maybe you ought to raise some hogs.
2: <laughs> this is true.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: But we so, need but, we need all of it though.
0: But I think and I uh, think I think
2: kale is worth growing.
0: Is my point. So when we're talking about calories per acre, I think an apple tree does extremely well. Um I also think it's like uh, let's take a good look at sunchokes. They're generally considered the king of calories per acre. But I I think that there's a a bunch of different stuff you can grow that's going to pr- produce far more calories and uh and hey you know another good one is chickens just good old chickens and the eggs those there's a lot of calories in those eggs and so and they just keep coming every day this podcast is continued in part two
1: have you ever wondered whether a particular book was really good or just so-so, and if you could trust the reviews online? When it comes to books related to permaculture, Permies has a large list of reviews for over 100 books. Perhaps you're considering a book for yourself or a friend, or you're just curious about what's out there. Stop by permies.com forward slash book and take a look at the book review grid and read some honest reviews, and hopefully you'll find the next book to add to your collection.